The following sermon was given on Sunday, April the 7th, 2019, the fifth Sunday of Lent at St. Paul's Church on Lake of the Isles in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Let us pray. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. So one of the things that has come into clearer focus for me, at least during this season of Lent, are all the ways that I actively reject the transforming grace of God at work in my life. Right, so Christians, we like to say that God is this grace-filled, love-filled being and that we are so grateful to receive that gift. And yet, when that gift is presented to us, we often find ways of rejecting it. And one of the ways that has come clearer to me is this past week, right? I was writing my sermon, I had finished my sermon, and it was garbage. <laughs> It was pure and utter garbage. And I was having a conversation with some folks yesterday down in Faribault, and we were talking about what this gospel meant. And I realized that as I was reading it, I kind of did what a lot of people do, right? We read Jesus telling Judas about this gift that Mary offers, and we think this gospel has something to do with feeding the poor, and we should feed the poor. So I'm going to do more of feeding the poor. We get mad at Jesus for rebuking Judas for this statement. But in that rebuke, we see something. Jesus, in the scripture, quotes Deuteronomy 15, which is this radical statement about what it means to follow Christ. It is the year of Jubilee. And if you don't know what that means, the year of Jubilee was a once every 49-year time when all debts were canceled. All slaves were freed. It was a radical redistribution of wealth. Make no secret about it. And it was God's command to God's covenant people to create equality in the community. That's what Jesus is quoting here. But what he's actually saying is this doesn't have anything to do with feeding the poor. Because you will always have the poor. You will always have that work to do. This is about something deeper. This is about accepting the love and the grace of God at work in our lives. So I've had to think about what are the ways that I reject God's love at work in my life. So one of those ways is by being super intellectual, making everything about logic. It has to make perfect sense. Another way that I reject God's grace in my life is by filling my schedule. Right? The more things I do, the more important I feel, I'm making a difference in the world, except the result is this. The fuller my schedule is with doing things, the less time I have to cultivate a deep life of prayer and reflection, the kind of life that is necessary to sustain our life in Christ. The third way that I find myself rejecting God's work in my life is simply by doing what I did this week, 
which is by making the gospel always about those other people, right? Because as I was reading the gospel, it's about feeding the poor. I think I do a reasonably good job about that. So I'm gonna write a sermon about how other people should be better about feeding the poor. <laughs> Except that's not how the gospel should work. Because when we read scripture, it should talk to us first. And so I had to realize that I actively reject God's grace at work in my life because deep down, deep beneath the veneer of my personality, I am deeply afraid of a God who is going to demand from me that which I feel is most important. That if I actually follow Christ, and if I actually take Jesus at his word, I am eventually going to have to surrender that which is closest to me. And so when I hear something like the prophet Isaiah who says, do not remember the former things and do not consider the things of old, for behold, I am about to do a new thing, I get scared. Because I don't want that new thing, right? I don't know what this world is that God is creating. Yeah, this one isn't working all the way right, and there are a lot of things wrong with it, but I know this one. I don't know really the kind of world that God is creating. And so I am deeply, deeply afraid of what that will look like. And so I find myself keeping God at a distance, keeping God at arm's length, lest I actually have to do the thing that God demands of me. See, God becomes a threat to who I am. And I have to be honest about that. A few uh, months ago, and I think I told you this story before, Myself and a few other colleagues around the Episcopal Church were gathered at St. James Episcopal Church, Madison Avenue, a huge Gothic space. Have you ever been to St. James Madison Avenue? It is a fine piece of Gothic Episcopal architecture. And we were there with Todd Bolsinger, who wrote this book called Canoeing the Mountains. And something that Todd Bolsinger said has been ringing in my mind ever since. We were having a conversation about all the ways that change is active in churches all around us, right? Change is happening. Whether we like it or not, change is happening. And Todd Bolsinger said this, people don't actually fear change. Change is woven deep into who we are. If we pay attention to out there, despite the fact that I heard this morning that we're getting snow this week and so I'm kind of angry about that, <laughs> the seasons change. We are made aware of, aware of all the ways that change happens. People don't fear change. People fear loss. People grieve loss. And the difference between those two things is amazing. You see, because the scriptures and the gospel has something to say about loss. When we are actually aware of what's happening in us, we can pay attention to what the scripture says about loss and about how God can redeem that which we think we're losing. But we have to be honest about it first. So when I was called to my former church, St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Kansas City, Missouri, I made this joke yesterday, but I was called there as sort of the young whiz kid who was supposed to come and save the church from decline. That never happens anywhere else. <laughs> And as I went there, the search committee said, we want to do all these new things. We want to engage all these new young people coming to our church. Help us figure out how we do that new stuff. So we went in, right, guns blazing. 
And as things began changing, people began getting real anxious. That never happens anywhere else. Because what people were experiencing was a deep sense of loss. I became aware that people were living in a world where they kept losing things. You see, we used to kind of live in this world where a certain level of conversation was had publicly. That's not true anymore. We were living in a world where people who had raised their kids in church and thought that surely this thing will perpetuate itself forever, that wasn't true anymore. And so when they were coming to church and seeing all the new things that were happening, even if they wanted to be happy about it, they were anxious. Because the one place they thought they could go and turn to find safety and security, if you listen to our colleagues today, amid the swift and varied changes of this world, they couldn't find it there. They were anxious, they were nervous, they were afraid. We have to be honest about that. You have to be honest about what God is expecting from us. You see, God's answer to the anxiety and fear that we have in this world isn't to ignore the fear. You see, if we follow Jesus, it's to lean into that fear. It is to travel through that fear and towards something else. Jesus invites us to transform our fear by giving him the thing that matters most to us in the first place. That's what our gospel is about. You see, Mary, in, our, in the gospel of John, Mary had come to Jesus, right? Just a few weeks earlier, her brother had died. Lazarus, her brother, was dead. And Jesus comes all the way from where he is up in Galilee, and he raises his, him from the dead. Mary knows about grief. And so when Mary goes to Jesus with her jar of perfume that she is apparently saving for the day of his burial, she's already grieving his death even before it happens. And she pours out her soul before the Lord. She gives over the thing that is most valuable, right? If we were to take that jar of ointment and put it in today's money, it's $20,000. $20,000. And yet she does not count the cost. She gives it to Jesus anyway because that is who Jesus is. If we listen to our epistle, this is one of my favorite parts from, the, from one of Paul's writings. Paul says this, Whatever gains I had, I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. In fact, I consider everything of loss and of no value because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior. For Paul, everything else pales in comparison to what it is to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. One of the things that I had to reflect on with my former congregation is this. That when we desire, if we desire true revival in our communities, if we desire true revival in our churches, it requires that we give to Jesus the thing that we think matters most. Not counting the cost, but having a church filled with people who have given themselves, your lives, ourselves, our souls, and our bodies, as the Eucharistic prayer in Rite 1 says, giving our complete selves over to the grace of God. And we do this in a couple of ways. 
We do this by cultivating a deep life of prayer and reflection. What does it mean to take time every single day? The one thing that we can't get back, this is why time is really important, because you can get money back. If you lose your honor, you can get honor back, but you cannot get time back. It is the most important resource we have. What does it mean to say, I'm going to give time to Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that? What does that mean for us? What does it mean to cultivate a deep life of service to those around us, those in need, fulfilling what Jesus says in the gospel from Deuteronomy 15, that the poor we always have with us, so we are called to care for those who cannot care for themselves. What does that look like? It means cultivating practices of generosity, giving away that which we do not expect to receive in return, because that is what Jesus does for us. It means drilling a deep well of faithfulness, the kind of well that is able to sustain our spiritual journey when things get rough and they will, the kind of faith that is able to travel through the darkness and they will get dark, the kind of faith that knows and trusts that God is with us despite what our situation might look like. Because here's the reality. When I was, so there's a, there's a, when I was in church um, in college, I went to this church, a Friendship Baptist church, and we used to sing this song during the offertory, and it said this, you can't beat God giving no matter how you try, because the more you give, the more he gives to you. But keep on giving because it's really true that you can't beat God giving no matter how you try. You see, earlier in, the, in, in, the, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, Paul says this, that let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, literally poured himself out and took on the form of a slave and was born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. Mary didn't do anything for Jesus that he did not do for her. And the same is true for us. You see, sin broke our relationship with God in a way that we could not fix it. No matter how we tried, we could not set that relationship back right, and so God did it. In sending the Son to be among us, in the Son offering himself on the cross, dying and rising again, fixed the relationship that was broken that we could not fix. He poured himself out for us. When face to face with that reality, with that grace and love of God, how can I do anything else? but offer myself to, not counting the cost, not giving every excuse why I can't, but deciding today I will. Today I'm going to offer Jesus just a little bit more of myself. If I gotta work it incrementally, I will, because I desire to be like Mary. I desire to be like Paul. I desire to be like Christ, who offers himself, who offered themselves 
fully into the service of God for the mission of compassion and justice and mercy and love in this world. That's the kind of love that can change this world. Jesus pours himself out for us and asks that we do the same, that we respond to that grace that is at work in our lives by giving over ourselves to him. Because it is in giving ourselves away that we actually find the true joy and fulfillment that we are seeking in our lives. It exists only when we give ourselves over to the one who gave himself for us. Thanks be to God.